Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. And I was the new kid on the block, so I was when it, I was in the news tower, and uh, it was a Sunday morning. Okay. I was working, and uh, it was the weekend that uh, AT and T went to the uh, a new exchanges, Forest, Woodland. You had to dial uh, sure. n- uh, letters in, in anyways. And uh, <clears throat> we were com- coming up to 9 o'clock. Basically, all I was doing was commercials and uh, station breaks between church services. And we were getting swamped with telephone calls. AT&T was getting swamped because people, still instead of dialing alphabetical O, they were dialing operator Zero. Oh, oh no! And it was really <laughs> screwing up the whole. Set. So. Oh no! I so I told Berg. He says, "Hey, we got a station break between churches here coming up at nine o'clock. I'll ad lib something." He said, "Yeah, fine." So he threw on my mic. He threw on my mic, and I said, "We're getting a lot of calls here at the radio station. Uh, we understand a lot of and AT and T is to a lot of people are having a very difficult time adjusting to this." new telephone system. So I said, uh, AT&T would really appreciate it if you'd keep your finger out of the operator's hole. <laughs> Berg, Berg's newspapers he was reading went up in the air. And as soon as I said it, I realized I thought, you stupid idiot, you know? <laughs> that is a great blooper. Oh, oh my God! And I thought, and you didn't swear. No, I no. was. A, I was the new kid on the block. Oh God, that's and, hilarious. And Berg said, <laughs> he said, Freddie says, I'm not saying a word to anybody. And I says, I'm not either. And I thought, I'm going to be a short timer here. <laughs> this was Sunday. I came into work Monday, not a word. <laughs> Nobody. Either they weren't listening, or they just blew it off, or yeah. what? Or they appreciated the blooper. That is hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, I'll take your advice. I will keep my finger out of the operator's (laughs) operator's hole. Oh, God, that's hilarious. Wow. Uh, All right. I got to start at the beginning. When I was a kid growing up, when I got my first two-wheel bike, I was chasing fire trucks and squad cars (laughs) on my bicycle. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I I loved it. Oh, that's hilarious. And I hung out. At fire station number eight up there in the north end a lot. Wow. Uh, and I bet they loved having a kid around. They did. In fact, uh, Captain Ed Wade formed a junior firefighters club with all the neighborhood kids. Oh. And we met 
and learned how to tie knots and things like, mm-hmm. like that, you know. And, and every year we had an annual dinner. That is fantastic. Yeah, but what a, you know, long story short, going to school, I was always a quiet, withdrawn kid. I was, mm-hmm. you know, and I got into a communications class at West High, and my teacher was Charles Espy. We were chatting one day, you know, and he kind of brought me out of my shell. Hmm. You know, he, I don't know exactly how or why. He said, Freddie says, do you have any idea what you want to do when you graduate from West High here? I said, oh, Mr. Espy, I said, I really don't. He said, well, I have a suggestion. (laughs) I thought, good grief. Here we go. (laughs) He said, broadcasting. Out of a clear blue sky. And you were a shy person. Broadcasting. I thought, for crying out loud, (laughs) you know? And then as time went on, I got to thinking about it. I thought, "Mm, that might be a good fit, you know? So I graduated from West, went into Columbia College in Chicago, Majored in broadcasting. Does he know all this, that he mm-hmm. was the influence? No, I probably not. Oh, my. It, it was such a great experience. And I told him at the college, I went to school from uh, 9 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I told him at the college, I said, if you hear of any part-time jobs, let me know. Because I said, I really want to help mom and dad. After, uh, I don't know, a few weeks, the office called me in one day they said, Fred, NBC, Merchandise Mart, 4 o'clock this afternoon, taking interviews for their guest relations staff. So if you're interested, have your ass up there, you know? So <laughs> and, I, not, and not a minute late. I, yeah. I got up there, and oh, my God, the mob of people playing. And it, it, it was a gopher job. I mean, we took people on tours. We helped out the NBC telephone operators when they got overloaded. Uh, we looked up lost copy for announcers, and I tell you, it was to be in this atmosphere of these professionals. The announcers up there were all top senior. Top, in fact, at of that course. time, an NBC announcer, in order to even take out an application, had to speak two other languages besides English. Whoa. It was a a great atmosphere to be in. It was probably just like the beehive that WROK and WZOK was. That's right. It is. You walk in there and you just feed off the energy of other people, no matter what your job is. And that's when Chancellor was working in the newsroom. John Chancellor. He's working in the NBC newsroom in Chicago at the time that I started there. Wow. And I was in the newsroom one day, and he says, Freddie says, I understand you're interested in becoming a newsman. And I said, I believe that's what I really want. I have never lost track of this. He said, if you're serious. He said, you see that clock on the wall? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he said, if you are serious about the news business, that clock never exists because you cover it whenever and wherever it happens. That's it. That's your rule. Good grief, that says it all. Yeah, because you can't dictate when a news story is going to break. No, not at all. No. Oh, my. And so uh, I never lost track of that. Never. To this day, I haven't lost track of that. Isn't that great? And uh, uh, from 
from Columbia, I, I, I went to, I, w- I was getting Yancey. I wanted to get going in the business. And uh, one of my instruct- instructors was uh, Al Parker, okay. an announcer in Chicago. He did a lot of commercial work. He used to come out here and do commercials on REX oh. once in a while. But he was TV specific. Uh, and radio. Oh, he was. Okay. Yes, radio. Right. Okay. And uh, uh, I was working Sunday at NBC, and he came up there on a Sunday to do some commercial. I said, can I bounce something off you, Al? And he says, yeah, 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 go ahead. I says, I'm really getting anxious to get going in the business. Am I ready? He said, Fred, you're as ready as you're ever going to be. Because you never know what's going to (laughs) come. That's right. So I started sending out tapes. And all of a sudden, I was in school one day in the office call, and they said, you got a call from a Jack Roach in uh, Muskegon, Michigan. Wow. So I answered the phone. He said, yeah, Fred. When can you start? I thought, Jesus Christ. Is this, is this how it works? <laughs> and he said, I said, well, uh, no problem here at school, but I, I'm going to have to give NBC uh, two weeks' notice, to be fair. And he said, I understand. He said, whenever you get here, you're on the payroll. Wow. And he said, we don't have an opening in the newsroom right now, but... I understand that you also have a music background. And I says, correct. I studied and played accordion for 14 years. So how would that tie in with him? He said, however, with your music background, we'd like to do, have you do a jock show from 7 at night till midnight. <laughs> and, I thought, and that just doesn't seem like Fred Spear, the Fred Spear I know. <laughs> and I thought, why not? Sure. So that's how I started up in Muskegon, Michigan, spinning records. You know, that was that's when Pat Boone was big, you know, yeah. and Elvis. And, yeah. And, oh, my God. It was a good gig. I had a woman by the name of Nellie Lattimore, a listener, who used to bake pies and bring them in to me. <laughs> I thought, does it get any better than this? Oh, this is hilarious. And and what was the name of the radio station? What was the call letters? Do you remember? Uh, WKBZ, I think. WKBZ. BZ, Muskegon, Michigan. Get out of here. It was a great gig. And so did you get into the newsroom? I did. Eventually. Eventually, I got into the newsroom and worked the beat up there. I was there two years, I believe, total, maybe a little more. I'm looking at the broadcast magazine one week that came out weekly at that time, you know? Yeah. ROK had an ad in there. You go, I know that station. <laughs> uh, so I thought, you know what? I'm going to send them a tape. By God, I got sent a tape, got a phone call, and they said, we'd like to talk to you. I said, fine. So I came back home, took an interview with the Todd family. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, they said, um, you're hired. My goodness. And geez, that's when, you know, Maury Owens... He broke me in, yeah. and I used to, when I was going to West High, I used to watch Maury Owens up in the broadcast booth doing basketball games. Oh, now see, that came full circle for you. It came full circle. That's so cool. And and are you like 22 years old, 23? Oh, just like a snotty-nosed kid. <laughs> My God. Exp- and, uh, and Johnny Brown? And he was a salesman by trade, but he did a jazz show every night uh, from 10 to midnight nice. on ROK. And so 
we got to become really good friends. And whenever he went on vacation, he'd say, Fred, you do my jazz show at night. Nice. Now, if you had to guess, what year would this have been? God, I mean, you're talking like 1955-ish? Yeah, yeah, because, well, I started at ROK in 58, I think. Okay. So. Wow. So, You know, there's so many people in the radio industry that bounce around because hardly ever do you work up in a radio station because lots of times there's no openings or the program director doesn't like the color of your eyes or that's right. You've seen it all. So you zigzag either position wise or city wise across the country. Right. You didn't. Is that, do you think it's because you were in the news department? Is that the nature of that? I think so. Okay. I think so. Of course. And I was only, with the Todd family in the News Tower there for two years before they sold to Vern. Mm-hmm. And they sold their interest in REX-TV and just c- concentrate on publishing. You know, it's so important that you have people in your life that believe in what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Family or not. That's right. And I'll yeah. never forget one day, Vern and I were walking into the par- from the parking lot into the station together. Okay. And he put his arm around me and he said... I know all about you. Uh-oh. And I want you in for the long haul. Oh. Because we're going to make this a 40. Wow. And I said, jeez. And I'll never forget, I, I told him, I said, I can leave the news vehicle here in the parking lot at night. I don't live too far from here. And he said, no, you won't. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I'm going to give you the tools to do your job. He says, I want that on the street oh. as much as possible. Oh, traveling billboard. I said, well, how about if I want to go to the grocery store? And he said, you take the news car. <laughs> now, did you ever feel, I, the word is, is bad that I'm, that I'm thinking here, because I don't want to use the word targeted, but did you feel bad noticed? Did you get, I mean, I, because after a while, Fred Spear was the news celebrity. You know, I never did. Really? I never did. Hmm. And, and Vern said, and here's a gas card. And he says, I've already contacted Octopus Car Wash, who was down in State Street there at the time. Oh, make sure you use and it. And he says, yeah. I want that looking immaculate all the time. Just drive in and drive out, and they're going to bill us once a month. Nice going. He says, if you have to go in every day, go in every day. And you know, uh, the, with what Vern did to you in that one specific situation with the vehicle, that was his mantra, no matter what the topic. It he was. Said, yes. If you were a salesperson, here's what we're going to do to make sure that sales thing, whatever it is, is successful. He did that for the promotions. He did that for the music people. He did that for the pro- He did that for the engineers. Yes. And that's why they were what they were. It was never I favor one department over the other. He understood that it was a cog. And if you missed a tooth, everybody was screwed. Oh. And so and it would it would cause animosity and he and you just never did. Everybody got treated very fairly. Very fairly. Yeah. Tim, I never owned a personal vehicle for (laughs) Almost 44 years, because every couple of two or three years, Vern would buy me a new news car. And did you have a choice in that or did just show up? No. He would say, friend, time to get you a new news car. Yes, sir. 
<laughs> and here are the keys. Uh, wow. That's right. One of the last ones <laughs> was uh, when Humphrey Cadillac and Olds was downtown. He said uh, one day, he says, Friday, he said, I want you to go down to Humphrey Cadillac and Olds there and test drive this new, uh, oh, God, Oldsmobile Bravada. The oh, Bravada. I remember that. You know? Yeah. And I went, I went down and took it out, and I thought, oh, my God. This, this is really more than I need for, for news. So I got back to the station. I said, uh, Mr. Nolte, I said, I just got done uh, test driving the Bravada. I said, it, it, it's really more than I need for news work. And he says, do you like it? And I said, oh, that's a nice car. I'll buy it. <laughs> done. Done. Wow. Jeez. And wherever you needed to drive it? If you needed to go in a mud puddle and knock yourself out, just go to Octopus when you're done. That's right. <laughs> That's hilarious. And one year, when my dad retired from Barbara Coleman's here, him and Mom moved to Mesa, Arizona, built a home out there. So I told Mr. Nolte, I said, we're going to be leaving to, uh, for a week's vacation to visit my parents out in Mesa, Arizona. I said, any particular place you want me to leave the news vehicle? He says, leave it. Take it with you. Oh, come on. No. Wow. So he was willing to advertise through Oklahoma, Kansas, <laughs> New Mexico. Hey, you never Jeez. know where you're going to pick up some oh. listeners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when Bob Pressman and Ken DeCosta were in here a couple of days ago, incidentally, today yeah. is July 22nd, 2022, just as a reference point. You know, Bob and Ken had worked together for a very long time. Right. And Ken right. became news director after, after Bob was not news director. And, you know, you get down rabbit holes of certain mm -hmm. stories and everything. And he was talking about when he was working at Triple R, WRRR for Howard Miller. Sure. And, of course, he had some other stories in that. He goes, you know, one time, he goes, I was a one-man band in that news department. He goes, it was tough juggling all those balls. He says, you know, I got to get up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, That's go right. down to the PSB, check out the, you know, whatever happened with the police records overnight, so on and so <clears> forth. He goes, I was doing the Fred Spear thing, which is sort of funny that he would call it the Fred yeah. Spear thing. Yeah. So he says there was this one time, he goes, it just happened to be where I was. It was happened to be where the news story was. And he heard it on a scanner where a fire had broke out. And he goes, I am going to scoop Fred Spear. I can't believe this. I'm so close. It just happened. I can't believe I'm going to scoop Fred Spear. And he goes, I was so excited. He goes, I pulled up and Fred was walking out. He was finished up. He had already did his story. <laughs> and he was so convinced that he was going to scoop you. He's like, how the hell did he do that? And Bob says, to this day, I have no clue how Fred Spear scooped me when I was so close and I just heard it on the scanner. It was hilarious. Oh, <laughs> oh, Tim. But, you know, I loved what I did. And you, in order to do a job the right way, you have to love what you're doing. Yeah, and we could And, all and I feel sorry for people that, are, that don't love what they're doing. No, I know. And, and we, because obviously it's an audio uh, job, we could hear that you had a passion for it. We could hear that you knew these people and liked these people and wanted to dig to whatever details you needed to dig right. to on the story. You could tell that on the air. You know, if you are in a manufacturer or in an insurance agency and you may love that job, there's not a whole lot of people that are maybe going to observe that. That's right. Because you're in your cubicle. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, 
and we saw it. Obviously, we saw both sides. We heard you on the air with the finished product or live, either one. But we would see you rush in and sit down with the typewriter or rip the stuff off right. the AP wire. And so we saw you in action, but a lot of people aren't. They just don't. Yeah, you have to love what you're doing. And I, I did. I mean, uh, I always split my sleep three hours in the afternoon, three hours at night, and I started my day at two in the morning because okay. I felt it was important for me to be downtown in that public safety building looking at police reports and then going over to the alarm office at the fire department to check on overnight activity there. Sometimes I think, especially police officers, firefighters, they're on 24 hours a day and off for 48. But especially police officers, I, I always felt these cops that are working overnight they don't get much media attention at all. No. And so I thought it was important in touching base with these overnight people. Mm -hmm. And boy, it paid off. That's where I got a lot of my tips and stuff about, hey, this is going on. Yeah. You might follow up today with the chief or something like that. Yeah. You know, you were sort of the epitome of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's right. But also, I I really believe in in my limited exposure to seeing you with these folks on the scene, which was very limited for me. You knew your limits. You respected the boundaries. That's right. And they respected you more because you weren't. Pushy, you weren't trying to push the line in the sand. Right. And you go, I know you have a job to do and I got a job to do. Right. But I'm not going to come in here and just bowl over because I think I have a right because I have a press pass. I don't think you work that way. No. And they no. appreciated that. I always felt that they felt that I was on the same level as they were. Well, and you were on the same side. Same side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same side. Yeah. You weren't the person that was going to come in and dig up the dirt and then show it yeah. to everybody and twist it or anything like that. Nothing I, like that. And I know that if I've told you this, this uh, story here, but it was on the early morning swing. It was a sheriff's detective told me. He says, Fred, he says, uh, there's been some diamonds stolen out of Grunos that were out in Colonial Village at the time. Mm. And those diamonds have turned up at B. Sandfield. Oh, Lord. It's just for your information no arrest has been made. The diamonds have been returned to oh. the jewelry store there. And, Somehow. And Grunos didn't press any charges or anything? Some, no. Okay. And he says, just for your information, we never did a story on it. Somehow, the owner of B. Sandfield. Lee Hartsfield. Found out that I knew about it. Oh, my. And he advertised a lot on ROK. He did. A ton. And he was hot. But you didn't run a story. We never ran a story. He called up Fern. But why was he hot that you didn't do anything? Because I knew about it. Oh, oh, you shouldn't have known. I oh. shouldn't have known about it. Oh. Oh. So he called up Vern. He says, I want a meeting in your office with you, Spear. I think DeCoster was news director at the time. And Vern said, fine. So here we are. So he was willing to hear him out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So here we're all in Vern's office. You know, and Vern, well, Lee said, well, what's, what's the problem? Well, he says, I don't appreciate Spear snooping. And Vern turned to him and said, that's what I'm paying him for. 
Oh, my. And Lee got up and he said, I'm canceling all my advertising and walked out. Vern went, he'll be back in a month. (laughs) And he was. he was. Yeah. But it's not like you were probing. No. You were given the information. He assumed. Well, it's easier for him to get mad at you than it would to be get mad at the sheriff that gave up the information. Right. So he was. You know, Vern told me, he says, we never did a story on this. (laughs) So what's your point? It hasn't been. (laughs) Aired publicly, and you know, and did anybody? Did the newspaper? Did the TV? Nobody did a story. No, no oh. one else. I don't think anybody else knew about it. <laughs> oh, but you know, uh, Lee Hartsfield obviously felt like he was about that close from the edge of the cliff. He felt violated. Yeah, because uh, you were probably, if you cared to, you were probably about a typewriter's page away from doing the story if that's the way you wanted to go. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. You wow. know, and and. And like I say, uh, work, working working that police beat many times uh, overnight people, but it was during the day. I was in the public safety building coming one day, and a cop walked up to me and he said, they just found Tammy Tracy's remains. Oh, boy, do I remember that story. And he said, Sugar River Forest Preserve, just for your info, do what you have to do. Is this on the phone or in person? In person. And geez, I jumped in the news car. I shot out to the Sugar River Forest Preserve. No other media there. Sheriff's squad across the entrance to the park. I knew the deputy, uh, Bill. I can't think of Bill's last name right now. But anyways, he said, phrases. He says, I got strict orders not to let anybody in here. But he says, I got to get something out of my squad. (laughs) Turned around, walked back to his squad car, and yeah, I went in. They could read you. They could. Uh, they didn't say, "Hey, Fred, come on in." Right. But he said it in such a way that if I turn my back, I will let you in. Wow, and, good for you. And I got right. I got right back there where the bones, the remains were. Oh my. And boy, and, and nobody said anything. You know. You mean when they saw you? Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I think I'd been around these people so much, I think they felt I was one of their own. Yeah, yeah. Besides and, being a news person. Yeah. And so, boy, I got back to the news car, and we broke the story. Pow! Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, because I'll tell you what, I remember in the WROK studio, yeah. especially in the stand-up studio, which was my first tour. So this would have been like 81, 82, somewhere in that area. You know those great big lights that are on top of the police cars at Mayberry RFD, those gigantic cherries? Somebody, I don't know if it was Ed Jurich or who it was, one of the engineers, had taken one of those gigantic lights and turned it upside down and mounted it at the ceiling. Do you remember that? Yes. And when Fred Spear pushed the button in his vehicle... That light went on. And, of course, we could be in the middle of the weather. We could be playing a record. We could be in the bathroom. But obviously you walk in and the whole room is lit up red and you knew that you had something of some sort. So then, of course, we potted you up in queue and say, hey, Fred, what's going on? And you'd tell us. And then, of course, we put you on the air. So there was no excuse. If you had something like this that you wanted to break right. There's no excuse for anybody not to know that Fred had something for you. And that's that tells you, again, the importance that Vern had in news. Because for him to say, hey, Mr. Engineer guy, 
uh, hunt down one of these lights and figure out how you can mount it from what Red ha- Fred has in his car and, and go right into the studio. And the engineers would figure it out. Tim, to this day, I, I run into some, so many people that I don't know. And, you know, we introduce each other and they'll say, you're Fred Spear? I said, yes. Oh, my God. Listen to you for years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, do we miss it. Yeah, and for, for so many people, you were the first voice that they heard when they get up. Oh. You know, like, let's say, for instance, if their alarm goes off at 5.30, you're in the middle of an eight-minute newscast. And that's, oh. that's what they became dependent on, obviously, and you knew it, and that's why I think you performed the way that you did. When, when you went down to the PSB and the alarm office at the uh-huh. fire department, was that a pop-in thing? Or how much time did you have to spend in order to collect stories? That's my first question. Sure. And second of all, did they have it sort of laid out for you, knowing you'd come in? They say, okay, here are the top stories that happened overnight? At the, at the police department... News people went back to the uh, records division, and they had a series of uh, notebooks back there okay. with categories of burglaries, homicides. Oh, uh, they they were for us to look at, take notes, and what we wanted. Nice. And so I just had to make sure that I was uh, done with all of that every day. And usually, the gal working in report review. Uh, where we were looking at the reports, sometimes they'd pass along about, you might want to follow up on this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, it's not in the notebook, but. <laughs> but and, uh, and and then from there across the alarm office, the fire department was uh, was nothing. Uh, you know, I could just walk in and ask the alarm operator, you know, anything I should be aware of from overnight? Nah, yeah. nah it's been so, quiet. So sort of a pop-in. In and out. So, just so I was back to the radio station in time to do the 5 o'clock news. Yeah. Did you have full control over the choice of stories, or did you guys have like a newsroom formula, for lack of a better term, where you would do like an AP top world news, you would do a state news, and then you'd tear down to the locals? Or did somebody assign you that story to do? Tim, it was my choice. Holy cow. Even for the noon news? Even for the noon news. It was my choice. And that would go the same for John Strandon or Rich Cantu or any of those people. Lisa Fielding, whoever. Yeah. They had their niches. Like somebody would probably handle the school board and somebody city council and that kind of thing. Right. But generally speaking, if they saw a story that was pertinent, they could pull it and include it in the next newscast. And Tim, I tell you what, I found out what life was really all about and what the media, especially being an on-the-scene reporter, was all about. There was a bad single-car accident at Owen Center in 75. Car came to the T intersection there and never turned, hit a huge tree. Driver was trapped in the car. What time of the day? Uh, This was probably, I want to say... Mid morning. Oh, okay. Maybe. Right. Okay. And the driver is trapped in the car, still alive, gripping the steering wheel. I pulled in behind the first sheriff squad car, and the deputy says, "Get out." He says, "Let's go see what's going on." We walked up to the car, and I'll never forget this guy, a young guy, gripping the wheel, saying, "Oh, please, please get me out of here!" And the deputy said, "Help is on the way." 
deputy said, see, I got a crowbar in the trunk. He says, let me get that. Maybe we can pop that door and get him out of there. Got the crowbar out of the trunk, Tim, and just as we started to walk back to the car, the whole car burst into flames. Oh, Fred. And I saw this guy gripping the steering wheel, being incinerated. Oh, no. And the deputy turned to me and he says, Fred, welcome to the real world. Yeah. And I thought, how precious life is. In, In a matter of 30 seconds. Oh, my God. Wow. And, you know, if you fast forward just a little bit, what if? I mean, yeah. I mean, your life was full of what ifs. Yes. What if that was 30 seconds later and you guys had returned to the car with the crowbar and maybe you hitting it sparked it or whatever the case right, may be or right. it was going to happen anyway. Yeah. And then all three of you would have been gone. All three of us. And boy, I'll tell you, that just, that sends chills up my back right now and I wasn't even part of it. Oh, wow. I, I, I just... Um, did you ever, did you ever feel when you ended up getting into an interview of some sort, and we're not talking about, you know, your average Joe that maybe right. lost somebody or, you know, a, a, a scene like that, but, but let's say it's, it's, um, a notable person and you get in that interview and then I've had this come over me a couple of times where you're about. 10 minutes into the interview and you go, I cannot believe that they are giving me access. I cannot believe that they are answering my questions. I can't believe that I'm sitting here with these people. I shouldn't be the guy that's here. Did you ever have that kind of situation? I think so, Tim. I look at it this way. To be an effective news person, don't be afraid to challenge. If you have the facts. Yeah. Know that your information is accurate. And I go back to a bad fire one day at the old Camp Grant barracks out there by Rockford Airport. Oh, sure. A youngster died in that fire. Basically, they were slumlord uh, Grant barracks converted into apartments. Oh, sure. And I asked the, the chief at the time out there, I said, who owns this? And he says, Freddie, he said, I don't know. So later that morning, I went down to the courthouse. Because <laughs> you don't like not knowing, do you? <laughs> and I said, can you help me? And they said, what do you need, Fred? And I says, who owns those slumlord camp grant barracks converted into apartments out there by the airport? And they have no idea why you're asking. I told I told him. Oh, you I did. Said, this is okay. why I'm asking. Okay, all right. And she says, "God bless you." She said, "I never thought the media would ever follow up on this." Oh. She says, "The owner is Bill Collins, the corporation consul for the city of Rockford." Holy moly! Yes. <laughs> that was a huge bucket of worms. I broke the story. Did you really? Yes, use Bill and, Collins' name. And I was covering city council at that time. And the next Monday night at city council meeting, Collins walked up to him and he said, why did you do that to me? And I looked at him and I said, 
why did you kill that little boy? Whoa. And he just zipped, turned around, and walked away. Yeah. <laughs> did you feel like you were sort of in a lawyer mode every now and then? And the lawyer mode is, in my definition, is you don't ask the question that you don't already know the answer to. Sometimes you can make them squirm, and sometimes you just get them to flat out fess up. Because That's right. Of, because, again, you know the answer before exactly. you ask Wow. Exactly. Good for you. I've always been a firm believer in don't be manipulated by politics. Oh, yeah. 1994, mayoral election pitted Mayor Box against Rockford Police Lieutenant Jim Mays. I remember that. City worker Andy Asher was murdered, shot to death over on Silent Woods. Paul Logley at the scene was asked about the need for more cops. He gave, a, he gave me a very affirmative yes. After talking to Chief Fitzpatrick on the telephone from the scene, Paul Logley asked me to wash that answer. Oh. Oh. He said... He flat out said it. Fitzpatrick said it would be detrimental to Box's run for mayor. And I said... I can't wash the whole story. I will tread the best I can on it until I get some more details. I went to the mayor's office. I went to Box. I says, Charles, here's what happened, was what I was asked. Box looked at me and he said, that's bullshit, Fred. Even though it would have covered his butt. He said, you stick to your guns. You were right in asking that question. Boy, did he gain some points there. Did he gain points there? Holy cow. And so, you, you, you know, you can't be, don't be afraid to challenge. I got, don't be afraid to challenge. Ask tough questions. Don't be manipulated by politics. If you could rewind the clock, I know clocks don't exist in the newsroom. <laughs> right, right. But if you could rewind the clock and you were not a rookie news person that was getting into the industry right now. Right. But let's say that you were maybe 10 years in for the sake of argument. Sure. And now all of a sudden you've got the internet and the social media and you don't just have three networks anymore. That's right. And you've got 24-7 news on the TV. Would you see that as a deterrent, as a tool, as an enemy? How would you take that, knowing what you know now and not having it and, and doing what you've done? How would that change the way you'd be a news person if you were a news person right now? Tim, to be honest, I don't think it would change me that much because so many times we become very dependent upon technology. Mm -hmm, of course. And then sometimes lose track of what it's really all about. Mm -hmm. And so if you kept your same focus and your attention and you're, you're still going to the PSB and you're yes. still reporting on whatever the deal is, maybe the streaming and the, the, the uh, uh, Facebook and the Instagram and the Twitter and all that stuff... Maybe, maybe that maybe. would just be 
another tool a tool to get the right. word out and the radio station would would take advantage of the right. quote unquote tool i still would work the beat yeah the same way yeah but i you know i have to wonder though let's say for instance you've got that influence that people are saying you know he's covering this story and either cut down the cycle you know don't don't put it on as many newscasts as you had planned on or soften it up or whatever i wonder if you would get a lot of that kickback because it's easy to sit down at a computer and send a response anonymously right. or not anonymously right. on Twitter. And all of a sudden you get all these messages coming into the newsroom reaming what your stories are. You see where the flow could be a lot more accessible for those people that want to sort of criticize or dig in. They still could have called the radio station. Sure. But now it's a little easier just to sit down at a keyboard. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It, uh, I, I, I tell you, I was relatively new in the beat. There was an armed robbery one night at the old Lolly Beauty Salon next to the Coronado <laughs> Theater. Did I tell you about that? No, no. the Lolly Beauty Salon. La, yeah, Lolly Beauty Salon, armed <laughs> robbery, about 7.30 at night. Okay. I got down there. The cops were already there. There were a couple officers in the back with the beauticians. New kid on the block, just carefree, had my my uh, tape recorder over my shoulder and beep up through the front door. Beautician turned around and said, "That's the guy." I threw up my <laughs> arms like this, Tim. I th- I thought, "Oh my God, short career, short life," you know. I thought. But she was pointing you out as yes, uh, as the, as the suspect. Oh, she, oh, she was. I thought she recognized you somehow else. No. Oh, she my. thought I was the armed robber. Oh Lord. And then, oh, no. and then she says, oh, God, she says, I'm sorry, that's not him. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my God. And the cops back there were, oh, yeah, oh, oh. yeah, yeah. You There's know? a story we're going to tell later uh, on. Wow. Uh, you know, um, Liz Wilder and I do a podcast called Life's 3 by 5s And we just finished up our second season. We do 15 episodes in a season. So we've done 30 episodes. And they're all on location. The most <clears throat> recent episode that we did was at Canyon Camp, just outside of Stockton, Illinois. Okay. And Eric, my son, and I have sort of grown up there. We've spent hundreds of nights there and summer camps, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. We're always looking for different locations. Sure. And, you know, beautiful summer day. We get out there. And, of course, I take Liz on a hike all back in the property. So she gets a lay of the land and a feel of what it is. And we played in the creek and took some pictures and ate some blackberries. And we had a good time. We end up coming back across the creek. And as we're getting up towards the pool, I say, well, you remember when we had lunch with Fred Spear and Doug McDuff over at Applebee's? Yeah. Fred was talking about Joey Didier. And she goes, yeah, I sort of vaguely remember that. Because Liz is not from around here. She moved here in 89. Oh, okay. And she goes, yeah, I sort of vaguely remember that. I says, you know, the newspaper boy that was abducted in the morning. She goes, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I remember that now. And I pointed, and it was cabin number two. And I says, that's the cabin he was found in. You should have seen the look on her face. You know how people just sort of go blank? Blank. Yeah. And then she started pop quizzing me. She says, how did you know that? And blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and. Well, you know, me knowing you and me knowing the people on the oh. scout side, you know, you just hear it over the times. Well, That's right. Eric and I have both stayed in that cabin. And I don't give a thought to it when I step onto camp. 
but it's like two in the morning and you roll over oh. and you maybe have to go to the bathroom oh. Oh. and then you're laying there trying to get back to sleep and you go, oh crap, this is the cabin where they found Joey Didier. It hits you at two in the morning and it, oh God, it just, it creeps you out. And my brother-in-law, Mike Kaler, his troop was there. Troops can go to Canyon Camp when it's not summer camp in the middle of the winter or whatever the case may be. And just your troop goes and just does something. And it was like three in the morning and the sheriff comes in, knocks on the door and says, pack up all your stuff and get out of here. No explanation whatsoever. And it was maybe three or four days before that troop knew why they kicked them out of Canyon Camp. I've known Mike since he was 15 years old. And you know when he told me that story? When he was maybe 45 years old. He just he just never talked about it, oh. and and I you know I know stories like that stick with you. But yeah. How can how can they not? But that's oh. a, that's another aspect of a very very popular story that comes full circle. Even what two weeks ago oh. when, when Liz and I were there, stories do go full circle. I'll never forget. It was in the summer, uh, Levings Lake. Some guy was robbed. In his car, and mm-hmm. after they robbed him, they stuffed him in the into the trunk of the car. Okay. I got there, and he was still locked in the trunk. Oh, and, no. and I thought, I, <laughs> I said, mean, did you hear some noises? Yeah, and stuff? I could. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I asked the sheriff's guys. I says, is it okay to talk to him? Says, yeah, Fred, go ahead. Well, oh, the know? sheriffs were there. Yeah, but she, they they couldn't get him out. They hadn't gotten him out yet. <laughs> and so I. <laughs> So, you know, I knocked on the trunk. You did not. Yeah, I did. I said, uh, Fred Spear from ROK News. Yeah, man. What do you want? I said, if I take my microphone and stick it down the back seat into the trunk, can we do a little interview? Yeah, yeah. And I did. So he's going, yeah, until I run out of air. (laughs) So I put... I did an interview this guy locked in the trunk. Unbelievable. I got a call before he got out. I got a call to go to another story. Covered that story, wherever it was. Anyways, sometime later, maybe a year or two later, I was covering a house fire on one of those streets off West State Street. And I'm walking down the sidewalk. And there's a, a black gentleman walking the opposite way. And we started to pass each other. He said, hey, man. I said, yeah. He said, you don't remember me. And I said, oh, no. I said, I don't. There's a guy in the trunk. (laughs) (laughs) Did did you ever see him once they got him out of the trunk? No. Oh, well, how would you ever recognize him? I wouldn't have recognized him. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. And I, oh, that's there's, hilarious. There's been so many. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And you see the connection that people make to you, that you have seen and talked to so many different people that it's an ocean of people. But for them, that is a one-time instance that will never repeat itself. That's so, right. So that's why they've got the connection to you. And, of course, you got the ROK vehicle or the ROK right, hat right. or whatever. But you had no recollection because you saw the back of a trunk. That's a hilarious story. Wow. Uh, You know, there's a couple of people that you may or may not remember or recognize the name. And just just tell me if you just don't have a memory of them. That I have talked to 
in the last, oh, I would say the last month. Okay. Okay. Shotgun Mark Rivers. Okay. Do you remember him? I remember him. He was in the late 70s, and his real name is Mike Lamb, and we still do business back and forth together. He has built our website. He has built our awesome. our podcast platform. Uh, I am going on, I think, five and a half years, I think five and a half years, of being one of his voices on his internet radio station called Sky 7. It's a, oh, Tim. It's amazing when we get together because we talk about Dan Campbell and Mel <laughs> Young and Jack Randall, C. David Hamilton, and Nick Scott. Nick I mean, Scott, all yes. these people are, you're going to know the names. We finish each other's sentences because we all know those people. Don Geronimo is another oh, one. Bobby B. Soder, Soder. was all, also oh, working God. at the same time. It's phenomenal that it all has come full circle if you let it. If you, if you let, let it. it. Yes. Because you could certainly just ignore any kind of an open door, and that's what it remains, a closed door. But uh, we were, now that was, that was 1977. He helped me start the high school radio station at Auburn High School. Okay. Believe it or not. So here we are, fast forward to 1983. There's no emails. There's no social there's no cell phones there's no nothing nothing i was in charleston west virginia he was at b94 in pittsburgh pennsylvania we have no idea how we ever figured out where each other were so my girlfriend at the time and i went on up to pittsburgh he showed us around blah 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 great time fantastic time didn't talk to him until 2013 when wrok had their 90th birthday so (laughs) so the people at the radio station called in the locals, like Steve Summers, Chuck Doyle, those type of people. And right. Said, we want to treat this like a high school class reunion. We know not everybody's going to come to the 90th, but we want them to know that we're 90th. So help us find all these people. So you remember Steve Bertrand in the news? Oh, room? sure. Okay. So I go back into the station. He goes, you'll never guess who I found. And it became a little bit of a competition. Mark Rivers from the late 70s. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, you don't know the story. And he goes, no. So I told him. He goes, well, here's his email. He lives out in uh, out west somewhere. I go, okay. Now, I could have thrown that email away. Oh, sure. Yeah. Shot him an email. Hey, I was in the station. 90th anniversary coming up. Do you remember me? Oh, yeah. Auburn High School, 77, da, da, da. Did, did, did. He, he was rattling it all off. I said, well, where are you? He goes, I'm in Arizona. Well, specifically, where are you? I'm in the Phoenix area. I said, well, my sister lives in Chandler. Oh, I'm like 10 minutes from her house. Oh, my gosh. I said, well, we're coming out there for my nephew's graduation. Why don't we get together? So we did. We spent the half day together. Again, you finish each other's sentences because we all all know the same people. He goes, you know, I got this idea. I think I ought to do four channels, and they all have different formats, you know, country and rock and roll and jazz and you know it's just in its infancy but i think this is what i want to do i go god that sounds really cool really really nice people can get it anywhere that's really great yeah i didn't give another thought of it so it was about three and a half years later i'm out at my sister's again we get together at the same pizza place and he goes tim i want to tell you that radio station idea that i gave you about three and a half years ago uh it has become reality and we're going to hit the load button in about two weeks, and I want you to be my first voice. 
Awesome, Tim. Isn't that something? That is awesome. <laughs> so it's you never know, do you? You never know. And I talked to Kipper McGee the other day. Do you remember Kipper? Should McGee? I remember Kipper? Yeah. Yes. What's your first impression when I mentioned those two names? You know, I never got to know each one of them, you know, really personally or anything like that. But uh, is it because you were in the newsroom? Probably so. Okay. Probably so. Because sometimes, even if you're in the same department and you're on the morning shift and they're on the evening shift, you won't cross paths except once a year at the Christmas party. You really won't. No. Yeah. Uh, Interesting story. There was a bad automobile wreck. This was during the day at uh, South Main and 15th Avenue, Marcus Mm. Auto Drive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was over by the uh, fire department there. And I thought, oh, well... Who also was there? Fred Hutchison. Oh, Rockford newspaper photographer. Yes, I love Fred. And he, I, I, I left the fire department, was driving. I looked and I saw, there's Fred Hutchison along the roadway. I said, Fred, I says, you going to that wreck? And he said, yeah. He said, my, my car's broke down. I said, get in. Oh. So he got in. <laughs> and here... We shot, shoot down Seminary Street. We get to 15th Avenue, and I turn to go across the bridge. I said, oh, my God, Fred, I forgot the frickin' bridge is under reconstruction. Oh, no. I said, we got two choices. There were two lanes for heavy-duty equipment to go on okay. across the river. Oh, okay. I said, we can go back and cross by the old Rockford College there, College Avenue, or we can take the boards and go across the river. And he looked at me and he said, you're driving, man. Here we go. This is the type of story I never would relate to Vern. (laughs) But it's okay now. (laughs) here we are. We're going across Fred says, oh, my God. What do you mean, oh, my God? If we go in the drink, you're going to have a hell of a photo. That's right. And I'm going to have a great story. <laughs> That's it, right. But anyways, we, we made it across. He says, Jesus Christ, says, you're freaking unbelievable. Says, well, you know, you got to get the story. You got you to do what you got to do. Did you, you know? Did you find yourself... On the scene, I mean, obviously, you're the first one there. But did you find yourself a lot of times in news conferences or at a scene where you've got, you know, TV, newspaper, anybody else that is there covering it, and you guys sort of help each other to a certain degree, or was it just tight, tight competition? I I was always Chris Green with Rockford Newspapers. Sure. He's been there a long time. Yeah. We're very close. I always had great respect from the black community in Rockford. Oh, good. There was civil unrest one day out on West State Street near maybe, I think, between Central and Avon. And I got there. I think I had my young son, Tim, with me at the time. Wow. And I had my tape recorder over my shoulder. Young black came up and he tried to my shoulder. An older black man walked up and he grabbed that kid and he says, you leave him alone. He's been good to us. Oh, he tried to steal your equipment? Yes. And the older black gentleman said, he said, Fred, you just stay with me till you're done here. 
I'll make sure you're safe. Wow. And I thought, geez, Christ. Yeah, yeah but you, you wouldn't have been on the clock if you had your son Tim with you. I tell you, my three kids probably saw more than they should have as youngsters because of times that they would be with me when I got a call. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's probably why both my sons became police officers. Yeah. Because they, well, they realized the importance of it. That's, yeah. you know, and... Uh, you know, I went to school with your daughter, Kelly. Kelly, yeah. yeah. And never once would I ever have an impression that her father did that for a living. I mean, she just never brought that to school. So I think I was working with you two years at the radio station. Okay. Before, and I'm just the dumbass when it comes to trying to connect, <laughs> you know, last names. It's not like she didn't have another same last name as yours. Yeah. You know, that should have been a no-brainer. And all of a sudden, I just it just clicked on me two years after. I says, by, by any chance, do you have a daughter, Kelly? Well, yeah. I said, we've gone together since middle school. Never put it together. Oh, my gosh. Never once. Oh, my so, gosh. So I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but it's not like she came into school and says, oh, you'll never guess where I was last night. Never once. Never had those stories. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe she's just, she learned how to be tight-lipped about the story. <laughs> and, the, and the cafeteria at Auburn was not the place to tell the story. Maybe that's what she knew. I don't know. You never know. There was a, a burglary out there, uh, Forest View and Harrison, maybe not too far from the post office. Out by Sunstrand. Yeah, out by Sunstrand. It was, it was during the day, and uh, the county was out there. They had been in a foot chase with a, a suspect and lost him. I got to the scene. I was in the news vehicle, and I see this guy underneath a car. Mm. And I thought, oh, my God. God, that's him. <laughs> and I radioed the radio station, gave him my location. I said, get a hold of the sheriff's department and tell them where I'm at. Just then, the guy rolled out from underneath the car and ran. I jumped out of the news car, and I started chasing him on foot. And here we're going through a backyard. And I said, stop, freeze. And, and, the, you, didn't, and you didn't have a weapon. No, I didn't have Jack. <laughs> and we were near a house. And, and I said, get your hands up against the side of that house now. God, he put his hands up like this. Did he really? Yes. And you didn't have so much as a I, banana I, in your pocket. And I thought, I thought, my God, this guy's got a gun. I'm going to be wasted. Right. And just then a sheriff's deputy ran up. He says, oh, nice job, Fred. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but... Those <laughs> those hilarious. are the stories I I'd never go back and tell Vern. Well, there, <laughs> no, no. But, the, but there's certain there's there's a certain adrenaline. Oh, the adrenaline. That's yeah. right. If you've sat down with you for more than twenty minutes about any story, you know that you've got that drive and that adrenaline is going to follow through. Oh. But putting it in action like that. Oh my gosh! Holy cow! Oh my gosh! Wow. Hey, did you ever feed anything? to like the ABC radio network. They were tapping you for a, a story that happened in our region because they do that all the time. Yeah, they do. Or do you remember anybody like Strandon or DaCosta or anybody feeding anything? Because I, I don't I, remember. I, I don't remember. No, I don't think so. Not okay. back then. Okay. No. Because uh -uh. it's not like we didn't have big stories. Oh, geez, But yes. I guess 
as far as ABC in New York City, oh. you know, we were sort of low on the on the ladder. But, oh. I, but I thought maybe you guys had fed something along the line. Did you guys ever see Chicago media as a quote-unquote competition when you're trying to cover stories? Because they're only 90 miles away. 90 miles away. Yeah. I never felt they were competition. Okay. Plus, it was a really a huge story, and they were out here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe then. But no, I did, never. Did you ever meet people like Lyle Dean or any of those people from the Chicago media? No, never did. Not, you know, uh, the thing that I found out, oh, maybe a month or so ago, and I can't remember how I found this out, but you remember Harrison Ford was in the movie The Fugitive with Tommy Lee Jones. Do you remember that? Well, of course, it was in the Chicago area. Right, and, right. And, you know, he was a doctor accused of killing his wife. And, of course, he's going among the L trains and everything else. Well, Tommy Lee Jones had a press conference. They actually tapped the Chicago media and said, we want the Chicago media at this location to be extras in our movie. Wow. Guess who was one of the people that was at that news conference? That was, I don't know what year the movie was. Lester Holt, who is now doing NBC Nightly News. So granted, there's Lester oh my gosh. with hair, you know. <laughs> oh. But everybody in that news conference was from like Channel 7 or WLS or WGN-TV. And wasn't that a really cool thing for them to pull in those people as opposed to just average Joes for that Shh. movie? Since it was shot in Chicago. Isn't that something? Oh. <laughs> Ever tell you about the double drowning over in Cayuga Road? Cayuga Road does not sound familiar. Oh, it's it's out there. Oh, Alpine Highcrest area here behind the mall. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. think you've told me about that. It was, uh, I was just le leaving the news, uh, leaving the radio station at noon one day. I heard a call, uh, emergency such and such address, Cayuga Road, unknown. They weren't sure what it was. I thought, well, I'm not far away. So I thought, I'll just shoot over there. I started down Cayuga Road. Do you get many of those that they don't know what the emergency yeah, is? Yeah, they do once in a while. Oh, my. Okay. And a young man in the front yard waved his arm. turned out to be a 16-year-old kid. I said, what's going on here? Oh, he said, I just pulled a couple of kids out of small kids out of the backyard swimming pool. Oh. The moms had gone grocery shopping or wherever. He was the babysitter, became preoccupied watching television. It dawned on him, oh, geez, where's the kids? Ran into the backyard, and they were both at the bottom of the swimming pool. Oh, no. He says, I got them both inside on the dining room floor. Well, at that time, I was... Uh, uh, an instructor for the Red Cross. Oh. And I also carried a good-sized first aid kit in the back of the news car. Okay. You know? So I told this guy, this kid, I said, you know anything about CPR? And uh, he says, no, nah, man. I says, I'm going to take one, watch what I'm doing, and you take the other one, and until help gets here, let's give it our best shot. Well, just then, Sheriff's Officer John Williams came through the front door. That name rings a bell. Black man. Okay. And John and I, over the years, had become very good friends. John took over the other one. And Tim, I will never forget this as long as I live. Just then, the two moms came through the front door. Okay. And out of the mouth of this one woman was, oh my God, he's black. And I turned around and I looked at her and I said, yes, and oh my God, I said, he's trying to save your son's life. What 
in the world. What could she possibly be thinking? I'm not ashamed to say it. I cried all the way home. They both died. You lost both of them. Lost both of them. And and about how old? Ballpark? Three, four. Oh, tiny. Kids. Oh, my. Yeah. And you said he was, John was part of the police department? Sheriff's department. Sheriff's department. So, so was he sort of a long-term one where you ran into him several times over the next yes. few years? Okay. Yes. His son... As time went on, was convicted of a homicide. Oh my! Here in Winnebago County. Is this why you were still working? Yes. Is this why he was still working? Yes. Oh my! And his son went to prison, and while in prison, hung himself. Wow. <sighs> Let me ask you: Do um, d- did you guys have the news stories that I considered to be kicker stories? Were they always supplied to you? Uh, by the wire or something, or did you every so often run across something that you could go, oh, I could use this as a nice little, you know, up-tempo fun story? Yeah, once in a while, Tim. Okay. I can't think of any right offhand, but yeah, once in a while. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know if you had um, if you had the uh, the choice of those kinds of stories or if you just had the, the choice of your hard, your hard news stories. Right. Yeah. Oh. Johnson and and uh, Mullendore homicides. That rings a bell. Middle of winter, and I heard a call go out, uh, gunfire in uh, Levings Lake Shelter House. And I was close by at the Are, time. Aren't you always close Shh, by? <laughs> I pulled him behind the first sheriff's squad car. He said, well, Fred, he says, let's see what's going on here in the shelter house. We walked in. And there on the cold winter floor of the shelter house and pools of blood were the 14-year-old cousins, Johnson and Mullendore. And the deputy says, he says, it looks like they were just shot in execution style. They were white kids. Man. And so, long story short, uh, parents for both kids wound up in the ER at Rockford Memorial. And I got up there, I introduced myself, and I said, I'd like to talk to both of you, both parents here. And I said, if you don't want to talk to me, just say so, and I'm out of here. Well, they both opened up their hearts and souls, and out of that grew a lifelong relationship between myself and the Johnson family. Holy moly. Never knew these people from Adam. To the day, well, Vic Johnson, he died first. And then um, Dana, she wound up in that uh, care facility out there on North Mulford Road. And uh, uh, we exchanged Christmas cards, birthday cards uh, for many, many, many years. And I used to go visit her. And uh, she passed away about a year and a half ago. Wow. But out of that grew a lifelong relationship. And that's, those two murders are the ones that John Williams' kid did. Oh, my. Now, after all this long relationship with the Johnsons, did, 
did that story about their 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 son getting killed did that come up repeatedly or never again maybe at the outset but after that no no okay. never came up again okay because no. you know to a certain degree I, I think you can wear with some people you can wear a certain hat for the rest of your life so let's say for instance that um, that you were at a fire and it happened to be my neighbor's house that was on fire and I'm just making all this up sure and you happened to uh, uh, figure out a way to let the dog out so now you're the hero you saved the dog on the other hand, with like Lee Hartsfield, you could be the bad guy that, that was digging for too much information. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's a tight wire for you to walk because you do have so many hats with so many people. And when you walk in a crowd, you oh. have no idea who's going to be there. And you have no idea what hat they're putting on you because you've been doing it for so long. Were you there 42 years? 44. 44 years. Well, you see what I'm saying? Oh, I'm seeing. And yes. I, you know, and I think most of the time you're going to have <clears throat> hats like trusted, reliable, nice guy. That's sort of what people are going to say about Fred Spear. But depending on the circumstances, you know, with murders or or kids in the pool or fires That's right. or car Exactly. Wrecks, it's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different ball game. Wow, isn't that interesting? Belvedere tornado. Oh my! Already on the southeast side of Rockford, the uh, tornado just scraped a few houses, roofs over there, on its way to Belvedere. Uh, the newsroom radioed me and said, "You'd better head to Belvedere. It sounds like they really got hit." Mm -hmm. And so, on my way to Belvedere. There was a line of ambulances coming toward Rockford. I thought, whoa. And I got there and I got into the heart of the area and a state trooper who I knew said, park it right here, park it next, right behind my squad. This is, you're going to have to hoof it the rest of the way. Yeah, because everybody's torn, everything's torn up. You know, and he says, you still got your first aid kit? And I said, oh, yeah. He says, grab it. He says, you may need it. And for people that don't know, this was like three in the afternoon oh, yeah. when school was letting out, oh. just so people know. I want to get to two places. I want to get up to Highland Hospital because they got grazed. And I said, I want to get over to the school. And, well, by the time I got up to the hospital, my first aid kit was empty. I'm outside the hospital. This woman walks up to me, and she's got a handful of personal belongings. Is she hurt? No, okay. she's not hurt. Okay. And she says... My house is gone. This is all I have left. Whoa. I said, oh, my God, ma'am, I'm so sorry. She says, w what's in that, that metal box you got there? I says, oh, it's an empty first aid box. I says, do you want it? And she says, oh, I would appreciate it. She'll make sure you get it back. I said, no. I said, don't, don't worry about that. Put your stuff in here, and that'll be fine. And she says, I really appreciate this. So was she hobbling towards the hospital? Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. And so from there, I went over to the school, and it was terrible, horrible. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Once again, stories go full circle. Several years later, I'm speaking at a luncheon 
over at the, the Shadley Apartments in Belvedere. Very familiar, yeah. And after the luncheon, this woman walks up to me and she says, you probably don't remember me. And I said, ma'am, I really don't. And she said, I'm the one you gave your first aid kit to. Mm. I said, oh, my gosh. How many years had passed? Quite a few. Uh, probably, oh. pro- probably 10, 15 years, yeah. Oh. And I said, I said, how are you doing? And she says, I'm doing fabulous. But again, she says, thank you for your help when I really needed it. Isn't that a killer? And I thought, jeez, criminy. Yeah. So you were the first aid box guy for her. What, yeah. a, what a weird hat to have on. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, I was seven years old when that happened. Okay. And my great aunt was a teacher at the Belvedere High School. And, of course, it hit at 3 in the afternoon. Oh. All the kids were getting released. All the buses were getting loaded oh. up, you know, all that stuff. And you can, you know, anybody can uh, only imagine. Well, her house was just right in the middle of that neighborhood that just was flat. So we go over the next day because, you know, nobody's going anywhere that night. You know, everybody's just trying to uh, get the survivors together. Sure. Yeah. So my dad and my grandfather and me, we go over there and we're going to investigate Irene Hopperstead's house. And the sheriff was standing there and he goes... You know, boys, we can't let you in. So it's not a matter of park your car here and walk in. Yeah. We won't let you in oh. un- under any circumstances. Oh. And my grandpa, who's the most mild-mannered guy <laughs> you would ever meet, and, but he's built like a bear. You know, he's just a big guy. He said, well, with all due respect, sure. He says, uh, my sister's house is in there. We have no idea what happened to it. She was injured in the tornado. She's in the hospital. And we are going in. And he goes, well, with all due respect, you're not going in. And he put put his hand on his revolver. You're kidding. Well, my dad, of course, almost had diarrhea, you know. Jeez. Yeah, so he steps in the middle. He goes, Emmanuel, no, 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 no. Here, here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up and think this through. And so we ended up going another route. The sheriff was a little bit more free to let us in there. And here we went. And we didn't have to drive far. We walked most of the sure. way in there. Sure. I can distinctly remember. You know how tornadoes work. I mean, they're about as unpredictable and just as weird as they could possibly be. I remember standing on the doorstep of her house. Now, keep in mind, you've got, what, two or three cement steps on all of these houses. And that's all you saw. Oh. Everything was flat oh. except these cement stairs at the beginning of everybody's house. Except every so often there would be a plumbing pipe that would be in the middle of the house that would go up to the second floor, floor. that would have a bathtub on the end of it. So that tornado ripped the crap out of everything except the second story bathtub. I mean, come on. <laughs> so here we are going back into the house. And you know how, and I've, I've been in tornadoes too, Will it will take a piece of straw and, and run, yeah. run it into a tree like a nail. Yeah. You know those great big sort of fat back Victorian chairs? Yeah. Okay. There was a two by four that split that just like it was a, a knife Christ. with butter. Yeah. Split the back of that chair 
And when I walked four feet from where that happened, I moved the um, coffee cup in the kitchen and that glass coffee cup had not moved. You could still see the dust ring and all of the glass cabinets were still intact. Fred is giving me the high sign for I have to go to the bathroom. So we'll take a short break and we'll be back with Fred Spear on the Storyteller Studio in just a minute. So Fred is back in the room and uh, obviously we've got a lot of stories that once you bring up that topic are so vivid in your mind. It's like it happened day before yesterday. Exactly. And it could have happened 40 years ago. It's the weirdest thing. Now, that's not to say that you and I can't remember what we had for lunch yesterday. We're pretty good in that manner, too. Yes. But some of these things just don't get uprooted very often. Because, you know, how often do these kind of topics come up? They just don't in regular dinner conversation. There is one person that came up in the conversation uh, when we were walking through the Storyteller Studio memorabilia here mm-hmm. uh, with Ken DeCoster and Bob Pressman is the name Wes Bleed. Wes Bleed. Yes. Yes. And I distinctly remember Wes Bleed being in the newsroom when I was doing Middays at WROK, a fantastic professional, and what a voice. Holy cow. Network voice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is a really good... Network. That's a good description. He went on to be assistant news director and then news director at WGN Radio in Chicago. And I think he runs a PR firm now in like Wheaton, Illinois or something like that. But I could could be wrong on that. I wonder what happened to him after GN, but now you... Yeah, yeah. Well, I could find out for you. I can become your (laughs) investigative reporter. I I will get back to you on that. Bleed. Yeah. Wasn't he he really good? Intimidating. I mean, you know, uh, he looked like uh, the type of person that you would say... That's a newsman. Yeah. You know? He had that. He carried himself in a certain way. Yes. And and uh, another name that came up in the news department was Rick McLaughlin. Yes. And Rick was funny. Oh, my goodness, was he funny. And he was bright and he was quick. But, boy, when it came to news. And, and again, that's another voice that's just, it just bellows when he said something. That's right. They were talking about, and I'm sure you're going to remember this too, the series that he did on the Vietnam War. (sighs) They submitted that, and he won awards. And it was just some of the best broadcasting documentary-type series uh, material that I've ever heard. (sighs) And here here it's from Rick McLaughlin. Well, some great people came out of ROK. Isn't that phenomenal? (laughs) But I mean, part of it is a breeding ground. If you've got really good dirt, then you're going to grow good vegetables. That's right. But on the other hand, you have to have a good gardener. (laughs) That's right. You have to have the good program directors and owners and news directors and people like that that are going to not work against each other. And they're going to support the people below them. And then all of a sudden, everybody blooms. Vern gave us a chance to grow. He did. He did. And he made that very obvious every time and we have joked about this before i don't know how how it relates to you because you're a different egg compared to anybody else at wrok i mean that goes yeah. without saying but just when you think that mr nolte was not listening oh, oh. <laughs> he, he would oh. he would he would do his walkthrough i i call it leadership by presence 
Not that he gave you gifts, but that his presence was, hey, boys and girls, whether you're in the copy department or you're in the sales department, uh, don't forget, I may be in the mahogany office up there, but don't forget, I know what's going on in this building. And he would do that by simply a walkthrough, just when you thought that, eh, yeah, I won't hear anything about this. Wrong. Well, yeah, whether it be good or bad. And he, all he may do is go, no, that was, that was a little too blue, which told you that you shouldn't step over that line of risque anymore. Or he would say, nice interview with so-and-so. And that's all it was. That was it. He would keep walking. No details, no nothing. Nothing. But you knew because uh, obviously you didn't think you showed up on his radar with who I interviewed on a daily basis, but holy crap, he knew. He knew. He did. He knew. And I can't say that about any other owners or general managers I work for. Well, whenever him and Lucille would go on vacation, Mm -hmm. he would always ask me to kind of look after the house up there on East State Street. Oh, okay. Like do drive-bys? I got a key to the house. Okay, gotcha. All right. So I go in one day, I hear water running in the basement. In the basement of all places. That's not good. So I walked down there. Broken water pipe. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so I shut the water off to stop the water from flowing. And I thought, oh, jeez. Jim Cragen was fire chief. I called up Jim. I says, Jim, here's the situation. Oh, I said, Fred, don't worry about it. I'll send a ladder company up there right now and they'll clean it up for you. The guys went down there, cleaned up all the water, got the basement spick and span, and Vern never forgot that. Oh, I I, I thought you said that Vern never knew. No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had to get, you know, a plumber up there to get the pipe fixed wow. and stuff like that. So not only are you the guy that's going to sort of watch out for somebody's back, but you're also the guy that when things go to hell in a handbasket, you know people. It helps. <laughs> It does. It helps. It does. Who do you think, without giving up too much, Yeah. who do you think you did the most favors for and who did the most favors for you, whether it be information or access or anything? I mean, this could... This could range. I, this could range from the mayor to Pete Nuccio. I mean, it could be yeah, anybody in between. It was a conglomerate of people. Yeah, but uh, no, no one person uh, really sticks out. You know, um, Don Gasparini, oh, sheriff. There you go. Was extremely good to me. There you go. Uh, Del Peterson, Jeff Nielsen, uh, another police chief. They were all good to me. Ben Schleicher. Oh my. Mayor of Rock, And I was in, the, in and out of his office, sometimes on a daily basis, you know. And I went to school with Ben Jr., his son, at West High. Wow. And I was in Ben's office one day. And he said, he always called me Fritz. He said, Fritz, <laughs> I got a proposal. I said, oh, geez, that scares the bejeebies out of me. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> he says, how would you like to become my administrative assistant? Are you kidding me? No. This is already after he's been elected? Mm-hmm. Wow. You sure this wasn't Frank asking you? No. <laughs> that was his twin brother. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, he says, don't make a decision now, but think it over and get back to me. What happens to my job after you're no longer mayor? And he says, Fred, 
this job will open a lot of doors for you. Which you can't doubt that. And I can't. No. So I thought about but it. But it's, it's, it's a different row of doors, isn't it? It, is. it really is. I thought about it for a <laughs> long time. And I thought, I can't give up the news business. No. I'm in love with it. I Good. love what I'm doing. Good I call. think it's so important to love what you're doing. And so I told Ben, I said, sir, I appreciate the offer, but I got to stay with the news business. And he said, oh, Freddie says, I understand. Yeah. But what an honor to be asked. Oh, and who did, was Phil Strand? Did he pick, pick Phil Strand after that? Or was it um, his administrative assistant? I don't know. That's too far back for me. It's a, it's, but, but, you know, John Strandon followed that when Doug Scott was mayor. You know, that's a whole different ballgame. Oh, because, geez, yes. Yeah, because now... When, when you're in the mayor's office, now you're feeding the media. And That's you, right. And you were once one of them. And I, I really wondered how John handled that. I mean, he handled it well, but internally, that must have been tough transition. Oh, boy. Yeah, because that's not like going from one radio station to another. No. That's jumping no. on the other side of the electric fence. <laughs> yeah. Zing. What advice... Could you give to those that are getting into the news business right now? And here's the reason I ask. My son graduated from Ball State University. He spent a lot of time in the David Letterman building. He loved the campus. And, of course, there's no real nice way to spend the last year and a half of your college career when the pandemic is going on. So that stunk. So he came out and he says, Mom, Dad, I want to really do an adventure before I get a job. I go, okay. So he called up his uncle, who has been a crabber in Alaska for 30 years. Yeah. And he still knew people. And he ended up spending 92 days on an Alaskan salmon tendering boat. Awesome. Yes. He came back a different person. So then he got a job as a video photographer and producer for the morning show at WIFR TV 23. Okay. So he works hand in hand with Aaron Wilson. And of course, Aaron, you know, being the meteorologist, always out on location, you know, so he's eating that up. And of course he produces the morning show. And after the morning show, he'll be assigned to a certain reporter or a certain uh, story. And he'll either have to go shoot B-roll or he'll have to interview somebody or he's with a reporter that will interview and put the package together and edit it when he gets back to the TV station. So it's a variety of stuff, which is really good. Sure. But I hear stories from him that are not necessarily bad at all, Mm -hmm. but it's different. It's really, really different being a news person now compared to when I was at WROK and observing you guys in the newsroom from afar. It's a whole different ballgame. Yes. What advice would you have for whether it be radio or Mm -hmm. TV or newspaper or whatever, whatever the news category is for this person, what advice would you have for uh, folks entering the industry now? Number one, is it what you really want more than anything else? Is this what you really want? Okay. If it is, try it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they could have a variety of reasons to say, this is what I want. Right. Uh, whether it be investigative or they just want the adventure. And, and the only way to find out is try it. That's it. And maybe it isn't. 
That's then it. move on to something else, mm-hmm. you know, but give it a whirl. Yeah, and once you're in, because he's been in in eight months. Okay. So once you're in, what advice would you have for those people uh, to, 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 to sort of get to the status or at least try to get to the status of relationships that you had with people you covered? Work hard, be competitive, read anything and everything, work their beat, follow up, dig out stories, so the rest of media has to play catch up. (laughs) That belongs on a t-shirt, doesn't it? (laughs) Don't be afraid to challenge. If you have the facts and you know that information is accurate. Yes. Enter the room with confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. My advice to him is if you treat people fairly, nine times out of ten, they'll flip around and treat you fairly too the next time around. That's that's right. Yeah. And it's that's not right. necessarily with access or anything like that, but it's just being cordial at a scene. I know that this is your job. You know that this is my job. That's right. So let's just do the dance. That's right. And at the end of this session, at the end of this car wreck or fire or whatever the case may be, we both walk away with what we needed. And constant contact. Oh. Don't ever let these people know that you're not around. Oh, that's a good one. Be there. Wow, that's a good one. But, you know, that's a lot of ball juggling. And, it and, is. And a, and a lot of people... It is, Tim. A lot of people can't do that without a struggle. And some other people are just social butterflies. That's right. So they just use that social butterfly formula to do with whatever contacts they need to do at work. But other people, even with social media and email and texting, I mean, there's a thousand ways to keep in contact with people. Some struggle with that. So, boy, if you can master that, ooh, you are in great shape. Great shape. Wow, that's really good advice. Great shape. You've got quite the list there, don't you? You've got quite the formula. That's pretty cool. Well, Fred, I really appreciate you coming back in. Oh, Tim, I appreciate it. This has been a, a, a great project. It's, uh, it's, it's been a great, easy way to get back together with old friends. I mean, if you look at the banner and all the signatures that are on there, we've talked to the extremes. I mean, you talked to Don Kay who was part-time at WZOK. And then you talk to a person like you, who's there 44 years, or a person like Bob Pressman. Right. And then you're talking to Steve Summers and Chuck Doyle, who it seems like they did every job over their career Career. within that building. And it's really cool to hear those stories. So thanks again for coming in. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. And we will see you next at the Stockholm Inn. (laughs) At the Stockholm Inn. Sure, why not? Why not? (laughs) Thanks, Fred. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller's Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.